burnout has been such a huge topic in the last 12 months in radiology and we are very aware that burnout is one of the greatest challenges facing our industry at this point. So everything that we can do to keep people motivated and engaged and you know happy and contented to be at work, I think is not just beneficial for them personally, but beneficial for the company and ultimately for our patients as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radiology Report podcast, where we are having conversations with the leaders transforming radiology today. You can find us on radiologyreportpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Arnold. Today, we are joined by my good friend, Dr. Catherine Jones. Dr. Jones is a cardiothoracic radiologist trained in the UK and Canada and working in Australia with iMed Radiology. She has an interest in development and validation of AI tools as diagnostic assist devices in radiology and the use of AI in medical education. She's a professor of clinical imaging science at the University of Sydney. Her clinical interests include occupational lung imaging, specifically in the areas of silicosis and other pneumoconiosis. How do you say it? You perfect. Pneumoconiosis. Pneumoconiosis. Yep. Um, Catherine, as my friend, put that in there to trip me up and embarrass <laughs> me on my own show. Uh, right at the end. <laughs> we'll Thank get you into your background me, in a second, but, uh, Thank you. you know, you and I go way back for our listeners. Uh, years ago, you came and trained in Cincinnati for a few weeks and we got to know each other's families and it was a delight having you over it in was. the U S to train with, um, Dr. Pomeranz and, and the team there. And then we've partnered together for a number of years, building education programs out for the IMED radiology network. So we, we, we go way back and um, it's a pleasure to, you know, we finally got to see each other after many years in person at the last RCA. Mm -hmm. So it's great to see you. And um, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Daniel. It's been, um, it has been a long time that we've known each other and it was wonderful to see you at RSNA and just being able to sit and chat, you know, and talk and, you know, all of the things that we've always had in common. And, you know, the time that I spent in Cincinnati was a really wonderful learning time for me. And that was really when I think we kicked off the uh, collaboration between your know, modality and IMED. So there's been a lot in the last couple of years, obviously for everybody, but really useful time, I think for, for a lot of us to get going on some of these projects, which I think would be a really interesting, hopefully an interesting episode on the podcast. Awesome. Well, we'll get into all that in a bit, but first, you know, I wanted to have you on the show really because I think you have a very interesting career and I think our listeners would love to hear about it. You, in addition to many of your clinical duties, have maintained an active academic career and entrepreneurial career as well. And so, you know, would love to hear a little bit about how you've built your career, how you think about projects and what you're interested in and, and what role you're playing in, in driving the field forward. But take us back to the beginning. How did you end up in radiology? Oh, it's going back a few decades um, now, Daniel. Uh, so I think when I was even back at high school, I realized that I didn't want to do something that was just the standard cookie cutter career in, in medicine. So before I did uh, medicine, I, I had degrees in maths and physics because that I think was really what I was most interested in. But I wanted to do something that had involvement with people. So, you know, really patient-centered or, you know, 
person-centered career. Uh, so I, I switched over and I, I, I did medicine after that. And I guess part of my passion or my drive was to make medicine more evidence-based because, you know, having degrees in statistics and, you know, I wanted to be able to use those skills to be able to improve the decision-making that, that doctors and other healthcare professionals have in their day-to-day -day practice. And that's pretty much underpinned the, the following 22 years since I finished medical school. I went to the UK a year after I finished my medical school training, mainly just to see the world a little bit. You know, I'd grown up in Australia. I hadn't traveled all that much. And uh, I thought I'll go over and spend a year in the UK. And I was very fortunate that I started working at a big uh, teaching hospital in London in cardiac surgery. And I ended up staying in the UK for nearly a decade. So I started off doing four years of surgical training and then I switched to radiology. And I really switched knowing that I'd always wanted to do radiology as my subspecialty. But uh, I had a bit of fun in the surgical training program for four years first. And while I was doing that, I was very lucky that I was able to be part of the research team at Imperial College London. And that really gave me lots of opportunities, not just for my clinical career, but also to establish more of an academic career as well. So that's kind so of how it I've started. I've always known that you were into education. I don't think I realized just how into education you were, that you did basically two full residencies. That's wild. And so does Australia, is it set up such that in Australia, you can go train in the UK, you can go train in Canada, and then you can actually practice in, in Australia? Well, so no, not really. Uh, <laughs> I would say... I was a bit of an anomaly. I was an Australian medical school trained person who'd gone overseas to do my residency in radiology in a different country. And when I decided after, I mean, I went and did a fellowship in Vancouver in cardiothoracic, I then decided to come back to Australia. And it meant that I had to do my radiology boards in Australia when I got back, mm. which thankfully didn't take very long. Uh, and then I was kind of a free agent and I could, you know, be a fully qualified board certified radiologist here in Australia. So that it was a bit of a convoluted pathway. And when people find out that I trained in the UK, but I sound very Australian, there's always a little bit of a confused pause. And then there's a very quick summary as to how it happened. And mm -hmm. it is an unusual pathway, but I'm really glad that I did that because it gave me the experience of working in multiple different hospitals in different healthcare systems. Uh, and it, I think that perspective of having seen how other regions and other people do things does certainly uh, in, allow me to use some of that experience to see how things could be improved or done differently in other places. What were the major differences, if any, that you saw between the UK and uh, Australia? I think one of the biggest differences is that in Australia, we have a really almost even mix of public and private healthcare. So we have a public health system, which is free for everybody who lives here. So if you're in a car accident or you have a, a heart attack or a stroke, you go to the public hospital and you will be very well treated at no cost as an Australian resident. And it's supported, if you like, by a private healthcare system where if you want to do something which is elective or semi-elective, you know, you might be quicker to go privately. And a lot of the family doctors and uh, certainly radiology is done in the private sector for all of the things that you don't need to go to the hospital for. 
you know, like you have a sore shoulder or you have, you know, a twisted ankle that hasn't quite gotten better. You don't really need to go to the hospital for that. So there's a really good balance of, of hospital sort of publicly funded services and then a really strong private sector as well, which is also underpinned by government funding with Medicare. So that is a real difference to the UK where at least when I was there, almost all of the uh, healthcare was delivered via the NHS, the National Health System Service, uh, which was very hospital-based. And then even the family doctors were sort of part of the, the NHS. It was all one big uh, system, which is is starting to change now with some increasing privatisation in the NHS. So it was a very different environment. It was a great learning environment in the NHS. There's lots of volume. There's lots of variety in, in training cases. And I was very lucky to be able to do nearly 10 years there. Thanks for that, painting that distinction. It seems like Australia is a little bit of a middle ground between the UK and the US in many ways. Uh, in many ways, I agree, yes. So in Australia, is it most common for radiologists to be you know, 100% private, 100% public, 100% mixed? Like what's the most common for folks? It really is a widespread. So we do have radiologists that are 100% of their time in the public system. We have radiologists like me who work in the, in the private system. And then we have quite a lot of radiologists that might do a few days in you know public and then a few days in private every week. It's interesting because so it's not quite mandated. a few... It's no, not mandated not at all. that someone be working in the public sector. Got it. Nope. Nope. Once the training is finished, you're uh, able to choose. The interesting thing is a lot of our public hospitals are privately run from the radiology perspective. So even though I work for a private company, I actually work in a couple of our public hospitals here in Brisbane where I live. So I do still get the case mix of, you know, a huge variety of patients coming through the public system as well as, you know, the private sector, which, you know, gives me a different perspective and a different part of, of radiology practice. So for me, I find that very rewarding. That's awesome. So how, what led you to IMED Radiology? How long have you been at IMED Radiology? Maybe for those who don't know, what is IMED Radiology? What um, is IMED? Yes, that's a great <laughs> how, question. How, it, how has the organization evolved? Because it, it has, you know, evolved considerably since I've gotten to know the organization. We've been partners now for five years. So talk us through it a little bit. Sure. Well, so IMED is one of the world's biggest private radiology companies. We have over 400 radiologists and we have 250 clinics across Australia. We are constantly expanding. We are the biggest provider of regional radiology in Australia. So outside of the big metropolitan areas, it means that we have a really wide geographic footprint. Uh, obviously, Australia doesn't have the population that the US does, but it has almost the same land mass. So we have the geographical um, challenges of providing a service across a huge continent, but we also provide the breadth of imaging. So we provide full radiology services, interventional services, nuke med, you know, the, the full works. It's a very interesting place to work because of those challenges and because of the, I suppose, the leader profile that we have in Australia as the largest provider of radiology services. So I started at IMED when I came back to Australia from Canada, from my fellowship and there was a an opening for a, an overseas radiologist in uh, Tasmania. So that little island off the southern end of Australia. And I 
took that. I thought I've never been to Tasmania. It sounds like a lovely place. So we moved there and uh, I was there for five years. And it was a lovely place to live. I had uh, my two children were born there. And then after a while, I thought I probably should consider, you know, heading back to Brisbane, which is where I grew up, where my family and most of my long-term friends were. So we ended up moving back there six years ago. But um, I stayed within IMED and I could, you know, switch between the Tasmanian clinic campuses up to the Brisbane campus. And uh, it was a very smooth transition. When you joined IMED, do you remember how many radiologists there were in the network? Uh, I think there were 200 and something. It's okay. it's an interesting situation because, you know, as we've said, a lot of radiologists in Australia do a mix of public and private. So when we talk about how many radiologists, we talk about how many full-time equivalent radiologists we have. We actually have far more than that. And we also have a very strong teleradiology business that covers, you know, multiple countries. And, you know, there's a lot of radiologists that are involved in that as well, which I'm not counting as part of the number. So it's a constantly expanding group which is, it's sometimes a challenging situation because, you know, you find a radiologist, you know, oh, I'm not sure I know you, have I met you before? Uh, oh, I only started last week. Oh, well, that would be why. Um, but equally, we have a really good core, you know, group of radiologists that have been at, at IMED for a long time and, you know, have, have tried to lead the company in the last four or five years, particularly over the pandemic. You know, obviously we had the same challenges that the rest of the world had with, you know, staffing and resourcing and, you know, planning for the worst in terms of the clinical outcomes. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a very interesting time, but you're right. IMED has expanded. It's become a real leader in uh, global radiology. It's been really nice to see actually. Yeah. It's very cool. And uh, I've loved watching the organization grow and evolve. And one of the things that I know one of the roles that you played early on there was how to bring education and quality into such a big organization. It can be really challenging as you grow to maintain high levels of quality, to invest in people's professional development. Talk a little bit about how you got involved in that, what types of initiatives that, that you've taken on and you know what sort of problems you set out to solve. You know, you mentioned at the jump your interest in math and science and you know, bringing a statistical mind. Radiology is so cool because you really can look at these things as, you know, you've got mm -hmm. doing a task 15,000 times a year That's right. get some good data on, uh, you know, on performance. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So probably around four or five years ago now, the senior leadership team at IMED made a priority of helping particularly our more junior radiology colleagues to upskill in the sorts of parts of radiology that they weren't feeling as confident in as they as they might want to be, particularly transitioning from residency in a public hospital to a private setting. So the chief medical officer, Dr. Ron Schneer, he and I first engaged MRI online to try to you know provide a service to help us, particularly in the in the field of MRI, but then increasingly in other modalities as well. And that really led to you know a company wide subscription to the service, but also a more broad sort of understanding that. You know, we, we'd like people to do a broad range of radiology, but there are some fields of radiology which, if you don't do a lot of, can be quite challenging to maintain skills. For example, reading mammograms, you know, if you don't do a lot of them, it's easy to, to de-skill. So we've established quite a few programs now within IMED for either people who are specialists to maintain their skills or people who are general radiologists to upskill in, in particular areas. 
Um, a nice example of that is prostate MRI has become far more utilized here in Australia in the last five years. And we've upskilled, I think, 30 or 40 of our radiologists now to be MRI prostate readers across our group, which, you know, in certain geographic areas across our network, there was a real need for that. So, you know, constantly looking to see how people's skill sets could be improved, that they, they have an interest and are keen to improve on that. So that's really been the first part of the education piece. The second piece about quality is about maintaining um, peer review, maintaining peer audit, having a robust, you know, interesting cases uh, environment so that people are encouraged and feel comfortable to ask for help from their colleagues. You know, that's a really important part of radiology, particularly you know, when we're all becoming more used to, you know, remote working being able to still feel part of a team and being able to ask colleagues for help is a really important part, not just of maintaining clinical quality, but maintaining job satisfaction. Burnout has been such a huge topic in the last 12 months in radiology, and we are very aware that burnout is one of the greatest challenges facing our industry at this point. So everything that we can do to keep people motivated and engaged and you know happy and contented to be at work I think is not just beneficial for them personally, but beneficial for the company and ultimately for our patients as well. Great summary. And as I understand it, you know, a few thoughts here. One, IMED has been leaders in peer review. For those not familiar with the Australian context, I believe peer review is just becoming mandated either soon or or, or just recently. But you guys have been sort of a step ahead of that, thinking about, you know, how to do this just to because That's it's the right, right thing to yeah. do. It's because it's um, the right thing to do, yeah. And sort of extending beyond just peer review, but peer learning and mentorship and sort of creating these programs at scale. And one of the benefits, I think, of these larger groups, I think sometimes larger groups can have, um, at least in the US context, people can be a little bit afraid of the larger groups. But one of the things that I've seen a benefit of is you can take on new skills and you can change career paths and you can find new opportunities within this broader network. And so there's been a lot of doctors who hadn't read MRI before, and then they, you guys invested in them and their ability to become now, you know, proficient in MRI, or they wanted to have a new opportunity in a different region of the country and, and, you know, the mm-hmm. opportunities there. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to invest in people's professional development is really interesting. I think the other benefit is one that you've certainly benefited from, which is you can have a multitude of interests. You know, as I understand it, you're no longer five days clinical. You fill your week with, you know, an array of different activities, one of which, you know, beyond your clinicals was was helping start a new company, Annalise AI. When, for those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about Annalise AI? Interesting. Would love to hear the elevator pitch. But like, how did you get involved? Like, yeah, You know, what was the zero to one on, hey, I, I know how to help here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very interesting story. Annalise AI is a medical imaging AI company. It's co-founded between IMED and a software engineering company based out of Sydney called Harrison AI. I think IMED is one of the, the lead players in radiology, particularly in you know Australasia, it was very much a discussion for quite a long time that we didn't want to be reacting to developments in AI. We wanted to help drive it and shape it. You know, we sort of had a bit of a responsibility to do that. So starting this company, it was an interesting starting point. The chief medical officer of IMED came to me and said, oh, we're looking at doing this AI initiative. Uh, we'd like to have a clinician 
to help with the first, you know, kind of startup part of this process, particularly, you know, we may start with a chest X-ray product. Would you be interested in, in advising and consulting with them? I said, that sounds really interesting. I already have an interest in AI. You know, one of my expertise areas is diagnostic testing methodology. This sounds like a perfect match for me. Um, and he said, oh, well, just take a few weeks. And I said, oh, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I think this will take a bit longer. <laughs> and that was uh, just over three years ago. Um, so I've been very lucky that I've been able to be involved with Annalise. There's a huge team of very talented people at that company. And, you know, I've been able to uh, help them with the clinical application of the products that we make and then to help with the validation of those products. And then um, obviously the next stages of that after we have regulatory approval uh, is to implement. And so one of the big success stories, I guess, that that we've been really happy about at Annalise is the fact that it's been uh, adopted at such scale across Australia and now starting across Europe. Uh, and then for the last couple of years, really looking at the US situation with regulatory approval with the FDA, which can be quite challenging as anyone who's been involved in this process with the FDA would acknowledge, but, you know, really good success in terms of initial approvals from, from the FDA for our chest X-ray product. And uh, now well along the way for our CT brain, a diagnostic assist device as well. So that's been a huge um, learning curve for me, not having previously worked in medical devices, Really, I think a good mix for me because, you know, working out evidence generation for regulatory approval, but also to demonstrate the, you know, post-implementation benefits in clinical practice about quality improvements, about efficiency improvements, all of those things that we as radiologists, we need, you know, we, we need all of these things to help us get through the increasing workloads and the increasing demands on our time. So it's been a great mix for me to bring all of those parts of my previous life together into, you know, the AI implementation and, and product development space. It's been very satisfying. So we'll get into the product in a second, but I'm more curious in the entrepreneurial journey as a, you know, founder myself and, uh, you know, you tell the story and it's always up and to the right, but you thought it'd take three weeks. It's been three years. Uh, what, what have been some of the surprises, some of the you know, near-death experiences or moments where you thought, oh, gee, I, I don't know about all this. I think there's always peaks and troughs in terms of how busy you are when you're doing this sort of journey. Certainly, I think sometime last year, I remember thinking we now have, you know, real traction on our FDA clearance strategy. And, you know, we, we have a lot of work going on in that space. We also are developing a new product. Uh, so there's a lot going on there as well. And, you know, for a three or four weeks there, I was working at Annalise full time and I wasn't in, in the clinic. And somebody said to me, oh, have you, have you jumped shipped completely? Have you, you know, gone down the, the rabbit hole of, of AI? And I, I did sort of stop for a moment and think, oh, I, have I? No, no, not yet. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still being a clinical doctor too. And then of course, you know, once those sort of big, big projects kind of, you know, slow down again, you sort of can step back and have a, have a little sort of chance to breathe and, and relax again. So it can be quite intense in terms of the, the number of hours in the week, but Annalise 
you know, it's so well supported and it's grown into a, a really well-run and, and, and large enough company that we are lucky, which I think is one of the differences between us and other AI companies and radiology is we are lucky that we have the resources to, to bring in people into the team at the appropriate moments, you know, to scale up to where we need to be, you know, as a, as a global company. Obviously, we're based out of Sydney in Australia, and, you know, it's difficult to be running a global company out of Australia. And so we have offices now, you know, in the US um, and across Europe and the UK and across Asia as well. So, you know, we've been very lucky that we've had the opportunities to bring on really good people in all of those areas and across all parts of the business. So it's been amazing to me to see the expansion and uh, just to see all of the all of the wonderful new people that are coming in, you know, to pick up the baton and keep going, you know, and help help drive the success of Annalise. So that's yeah, been I a very. I understand. I understand. Annalise raised a hundred million dollars not so long ago. This might have been a little before the economy turned, so the timing was probably <laughs> pretty good shore you up for some time but you know other than capital and resources what sets Annalise apart from the pack I think one of the really key aspects for us is that it is very clinician led we have a really big clinical input into everything that we do we don't want to make products that that we make because we can we want to make products that actually address a problem or a need that the clinical users have that's always been our, our remit. We try to make products that are, are comprehensive and then the, the user organization can decide what to do with the, the really wide comprehensive um, outputs that we produce. For example, our chest X-ray product, it outputs 124 different findings. Now that's not available in the US, unfortunately at this point, but we are able to look at other ways of helping, for example, you know, can we use this really wide range of findings to start doing automatic report generation? And you may not agree with it. You may need to change a few bits and pieces, but it means that you have a, a report that we know will be accurate, you know, in the vast, vast majority of times, which for some users around the world who are really resource stretched is a really amazing um, tool that they can use to get through their work, it means that more patients can have their imaging done and it means that the, the urgent reports can come out faster. It also means that we can triage things a lot in a, in a much more sophisticated way. Uh, you can ask, okay, I'd like to have a list here of, of cases that look like they may have cancer on them uh, or a, a list here of all of the cases that may have some of the trauma findings on them. So it means that the, the users or the organizations that have our product can have a far more nuanced sort of interpretation of our outputs and can use it in a variety of different use cases. But all of all of that comes about because we have many clinicians in, in our teams, not just radiologists, but also emergency doctors and other, you know, healthcare professionals, radiographers as well, who can approach every step of the, the radiology journey for that patient from the moment of the request through to the, the report being issued to say, well, where where are the sticking points? How can we use our technology to help this process along using the existing infrastructure that people already have to make it better. And I think that that's, that's been a really <laughs> uh, rich environment for me as a, as a clinical doctor, being able to, um, to think about all of those potential improvements. In the markets where you're, where you're live, 
what are you seeing as the biggest impact to workflow? Is it that I can now read more studies per hour because the report generation is faster? Is it that you're actually skipping a step and getting some preliminary data to the referring faster? Is it that you're just getting more accurate? I'm, you know, I'm sure it's a mix, but um, mm. in the areas where you're like, okay, this is a home run for these doctors. What is the customer saying to you about it? It is, it is a big mix. The biggest implement, implementation we've had is at IMED. We have hundreds of, of radiologists using it at, at IMED and we use it predominantly as a, a diagnostic assist. So when you open the case, you have the analyse um, available to you for chest X-ray and now for CT head. And it means that we are more confident. It means that our reporting is quicker uh, and that our reports are more accurate particularly in our, some of our sites in the NHS, they are using it to be able to triage out the cases that need to be immediately reviewed. And that can either be because there is an, an intracranial hemorrhage or a pneumothorax, but also looking at it to say, this patient has something that could have a lung cancer on this chest X-ray. This can't wait to be reported in a week or two weeks time because they do have backlogs. This needs to be done now and then we can tell the patient now whether they need to have a CT scan. So, you know, streamlining particular, you know, niche cases uh, has really been of great interest. And I think the lung cancer detection on the chest X-ray, uh, because we know that delay in the diagnosis, treatment, uh, biopsy and everything can really lead to a functional decline in that patient, you know, over a series of even three or four weeks. So those, those sorts of use cases. And ultimately, we're starting now to see more and more health systems and insurance companies wanting to say, well, can you can you give us an idea about what's the prevalence of these particular findings in our own patients so that we can help decide how to allocate resources moving forward in a more informed way? And of course, when you produce such a comprehensive list of outputs, we're able to not just look at the acute things like the trauma but also some of the more chronic findings that may, uh, of course, lead to more uptake of, of health resources down the line. So, yeah, I think it's been, it has been a mix. Initially, it was about assisting people when they do the reads, and now it's really becoming about triaging cases more effectively, more safely, producing reports for people to be, you know, a little bit faster, and, uh, and then really into more population-based medicine. I just think about, in my own work, you know, anytime I can edit a document, I am much faster than if I have to write the document <laughs> from scratch. I always tell that to my team because sometimes they'll send me a document and I'll tear it up. But I, it was very helpful. It's much easier to edit something than it is to write something. Absolutely, from scratch. it was absolutely ninety percent them, and I just, you know, you're able to to move so much more efficiently that way. I think radiology is learning; they can be very much the same way, and having some pre-populated ideas and conclusions can be be hugely efficiency gaining, um, whether it be AI in some contexts, it might be a PA or a, an extender, which is extraordinarily mm -hmm. controversial in the US. I don't know what it's- Or a resident to. or somebody, yeah, somebody or doing right? uh, most of the work for you. Less controversial. Yeah. Um, but one of the <laughs> yeah. things that, uh, you know, my, my wife is in training in the hospital she's at, their chest x-ray volumes are so big, you know, it's a subspecialty academic program, but they- everyone has to pitch in on the chest x-ray volumes, which That's right. I, I don't know what the economic model is like in Australia, but the economic model is completely upside down in the US where you get paid you know, a few dollars an x-ray 
and certainly losing money on every one that you read yet the volumes just continue to go up and so it's not a great place for anyone to be in at the same time radiologists don't want to seed any any turf on it so uh I, I don't know how it all plays out but i think everyone's waiting for the ai that you're talking oh, about I think, yes. through annalise to play you know a big role there yeah, no, and we we have the same situation here. We, you know, chest X-rays we probably do between five and eight thousand a day across the IMED network. That's a lot, and uh, you know that's a, that's a lot of radiologists sitting reporting chest X-rays. So you know, if we can have people reporting these these lists, particularly separated out into the the urgent cases versus the more normal or unremarkable cases, and then uh, you know having pre-populated reports, it makes the reporting process safer. It also makes it uh, quicker. I do have to point out, you still need to look at the actual picture. So <laughs> I make that caveat <laughs> every time that I look at this, you know, we remain responsible <laughs> as the radiologists, but it is very important as well to acknowledge that there's a lot of small times throughout the day, one second here, three seconds there, 10 seconds there, that when you add up all of those little tiny inefficiencies that we have, it adds up to a big chunk of our day. So making our workflow more streamlined, uh, it means that we are less tired at the end of the day, having done the same amount of work, or when we have backlogs, it means that we can do more work and still go home at the end of the day, you know, mentally okay and refreshed uh, without being too tired. So, yeah. Well, I've always felt like, you know, I thought you described it well. I haven't heard many people talk about AI as medical advice but it is. And I th I've always thought of the investments in AI to be more akin to a pharma level investment than a SaaS, you know, software sort of typical Silicon Valley venture style investment. And so you're seeing that now where companies have, you know, started to raise a hundred million or more, and they're just getting into commercialization, which is much more similar to, you know, sort of the pharma med device level investments where, you know, hundreds of millions raised over a decade of, you know, data and validation and clinical studies before you can really get to a place to have the the widespread impact. And so um, it's great to see Annalise sort of there to fight another day. You know, certainly the next few years will be an interesting time for the company and, and for you and the team. So how, how do you do it all? How, how do you balance all of these interests? And I think one of our core audiences is sort of the resident fellow early career radiologist thinking about how do I want to shape my career and you know what's important to me and so any you know final advice that you might have for young radiologists out there yes um I don't consider myself a young junior radiologist anymore I'm probably in the middle part of my career but I would say that no work that you do early in your career is ever wasted so if you get involved in a project do the best job you can because radiology is a pretty small world and just walking around RSNA last month and I must have run into a couple of hundred people that I knew and that I'd worked with before or that I'd had interactions with before just walking around the exhibition hall and through, through the lecture halls and all of those networks and connections that I've had in the 20 years that I've been um, a doctor and even in fact some of my medical school friends that I still have the pleasure of working with today none of that is ever wasted so you know first of all be a good person I think that's a really um, key um, principle you know treat people as you'd like to be treated yourself they won't be forgotten uh, the second principle is you know work hard and do the things that matter and do a good job 
on things because, again, that won't be forgotten. If you have an interest in something, particularly something which is innovative or novel, put your hand up and have a go. You don't have to be a world expert on something to say that you're interested and you'd like to help. And that's how people get into new areas and new activities. You know, that's a really key thing is just having enthusiasm and willingness to learn and willingness to accept that no matter what stage of your career you're at, you may start something new. You're not an expert. Keep your mind open and uh, the opportunities and the rewards will come. And it's all about lifelong learning. We're all staving off dementia and trying to maintain all those neuronal con connections within our brains. So, you know, do something new, challenge yourself, put your hand up and get involved. And soon you'll find yourself with so many opportunities that you have to choose which ones you want to do the most. And that's where I am at my career. And I feel very fortunate. I'm also very fortunate that my uh, husband is a stay at home uh, partner who is very supportive of my career and that my children uh, have no insight, but they think I'm the best doctor in the world and they're so proud of everything that I do. So, you know, I have a wonderful balance. Even though my, my work is busy, my home is busy, um, it is balanced out and I'm very, very lucky to be in the position I'm in. Well, that's, that's great advice for a radiologist at any stage of their career. And also I think we found a new slogan for my company, MRI Online, Stave off dementia. <laughs> so uh, thank you, That's Catherine, right. so much for the time. This was oh, a thank ton you, of Daniel. fun. And uh, you know, I love hanging out with you and I can't wait to see uh, what you do next. I will. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. And uh, hopefully we get to see each other in person again soon. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Radiology Report podcast. Be sure to visit us at the radiologyreportpodcast.com or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to join us for our next episode. We are always looking for great guests. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, please get in touch with us online. <laughs>